Uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7 is where we'll be. Let's pray and we'll dive right in. Lord, this is the day that you've made. We'll rejoice. We look at our weather apps and we say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. 70s, 80s, we're just so like, grateful. And the rest of the world has seen it, but now we get to see the sun and we say thank you. But more than that, God, we thank you for this community, the people to our left and our right. You are doing, Lord, amazing things in all of our lives. And sometimes we forget it and sometimes we just let life uh, take over, and we don't see the big picture of what you're doing. So today, here we are. Lord, we want to worship you, and part of the way we do that is getting to know who you are, how you work, so that we can fall more in love with you, live like you, honor you, obey you, and stand tall in a world that's telling us to kneel to its own vices. Lord, to stand up and share what is right and true in a world that doesn't care. Lord, in a world that's falling apart because of hate, to show love. We want to be this kind of people. So Holy Spirit of God, use Daniel to show us how to follow Jesus more clearly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So reading the Bible, I'd highly recommend it. It's wonderful. It's helpful and sometimes ridiculously confusing. You ever been there? Been there? You, you, whether you hit the list of names, you're like, so what? You know, some parts of the Bible have these list of names. So what? Or you hit these parts of the Bible that just seem mysterious. Uh, I mean, some parts of the Bible are just easy to grasp. Love God with all your heart. Okay, you can explain that, but it's pretty crystal clear. Love God a lot. Or here's another practical one. Do not murder. It's really practical, right? Doesn't need a ton of explanation. Don't murder people. That's, like, that's clear. But then you have parts of the Bible that at first just don't make sense. So if you've been with us in Daniel, we're going to look at now Daniel 7. And so I'm going to read a long portion this morning to show you the Bible can be confusing. And somewhere embedded into this is the secret to the Avengers Endgames. If you haven't seen it yet, somehow in this, just read carefully and think about the Avengers. And here we go. You ready? You don't believe me. Daniel 7 verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in his bed, and he wrote down the substance of the dream. Now, I need you to remember, Daniel has a dream. This is the dream. Here we go. Verse 2, Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea, four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Verse 4, the first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off. Okay, that's graphic. And it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and it had the mind of a human that was given to it. Now there before me was a second beast. Now this one looked like a bear and it was raised up on one of its sides. And here's the cool part. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat the fill of your flesh. Have I lost anyone yet? Okay, keep going. It gets better. After that, I, I looked, and there before me was another beast. One, this one looked like a leopard, but on its back, it had four wings. Of course it did, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, 
And it was given the ability to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying as if the other ones weren't, and frightening and very powerful. It had, notice this, large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims, trampled underfoot whatever was left, and it was different from all the former beast. Why? It had ten horns. Gets better. While I was thinking about the horns, which is what I would do, right? There before me was another horn. Oh, it was a little one, uh, which came up from among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it, naturally. This horn, oh, it had eyes, like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, so far, what do we got? We got beasts, we got horns, we got violence, we have terror. Fortunately, the scene changes. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. And its wheels, so the throne has wheels, were all ablaze. Ablaze, fire, wheels. Yeah, okay. Verse 10. And then a river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands of thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court was seated and the books were open. So you move from these four beast creatures, wings, ribs in the mouth, teeth. And then you're, you're in a courtroom. And you have 10,000 upon 10,000. But there's a throne, ancient of days. And there's fire, and there are books, and they're opened. Okay, now we move from nature and beast to a, corn, a court scene. And then verse 11, there's a verdict. Then I continue to watch, because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and thrown into the blazing fire, and the little parentheses here, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time, which makes all of it make sense at this point. Do you get it? The little parentheses, it clarified everything. So, somehow these creatures and beasts are there, they're all destroyed, they're all defeated, and then the scene changes again. Verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And I think this is the most honest line. Verse 15. I will pause. I, Daniel, was troubled in my spirit. And the vision that passed through my mind disturbed me. Thank you, Daniel. Of course Daniel's disturbed. He's got a vision of a lion with wings, right? A bear with three ribs in its mouth that chews people. A four-headed leopard with all sorts of 
wings, and then the fourth beast, which is so wacky, he can't even like parallel it to an animal. Why? It has iron teeth, it has ten horns, and then the teeny little horn that grows up with eyes and speaks. And yes, he woke up in the hot sweats. You ever have a dream like that? We're just like, thank God I'm on earth, and that was a dream. Well, Daniel, he has this vision. So, based on all this, welcome to church, welcome to the Bible, welcome to confusion, right? This is where we're at. Now, that's why almost every series I've ever heard on Daniel ends with chapter 6. <laughs> almost every one. And then usually the tagline, yeah, and the rest were these visions, and then let's move on to something else. Um, and and why, why in the world would you want to tread through this stuff? Well, we do. Why? Every word of God is flawless. Every word of God is helpful. Every word from God has value. Every word of God is profitable for teaching and correcting, training, rebuking, shaping us to be the people God created us to be. So if God wrote it, it's worth talking about. But let's confess, not everything in the Bible is easy to understand. It's all profitable in the end, but not all of it is as crystal clear. So the reason it's confusing is everything from chapter 7 through 12 happened during the time of, of, of 1 through 6. Daniel 1 through 6 is the life of Daniel. And the writer, I think to keep us reading probably, puts all of these visions that happened during his lifetime, stacks them at the end. Here we saw during the time of Belshazzar. He served under Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and then later under the Persian emperors as well. So in the middle of all of his leading, we saw Daniel's life. Now we're going to get these words from him, most of Daniel's narrative. But then you have this stuff, the stuff that makes us usually stop reading the Bible. There's another section like this. You've probably seen it. It's the last book of the Bible, which is what? Revelation. And those of us who've ever read Revelation have thought, wow, and then thought, huh? And then thought, why? But it's the end of the Bible. And like, usually you save the best for last. Like, the end of a book is like the climax. It's where it's all going. And then like, I don't even, I don't even understand it, let alone I'm not going to ask anybody to read it. And if that's you, thank you for being honest because some of it is not as easy. So here's the plan for today. We're going to look at Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. We're going to look at all of it, and some of it is going to become, I think, for many of us, for the first time, accessible, maybe even understandable as much as it can be, because even Daniel's perplexed by the thing. And then we're going to get to see how the Bible works, so that next time you read Daniel or you read Revelation, which we're going to do as a church, part of the reason for doing Daniel first is, believe it or not, Revelation is based on Daniel. And when we get to Revelation, you're going to see that John, who gets this vision, talks about Daniel's vision and actually builds on Daniel's vision. That's why Revelation is a mystery to us because John is just repeating what the Bible already said. And some of us have said, like, I don't get it. Well, hopefully you can. Let's do, today's going to be background, and then next week and on, we'll kind of build on it. And so let's talk about what Daniel 7 through 12 is. What kind of, like, material is this? Let's start with the Bible. What is the Bible? 
Well, the Bible is actually a library, 66 books in it, and the Bible is, is one unified collection of writings that points us to Jesus. But when we read the Bible, what we have to remember, even though it's in one collection, it's not all the same thing. So you have 43, almost half of the Bible is narrative. That's like Daniel 1 through 6. It's the real stories of people or parables about people. Most or half of the Bible is the stories of humans and God interacting. That part, I think many of us are okay with, although sometimes it's hard to go from a narrative to, to my life, but we kind of get that. And then we have 33% of the Bible is poetry. A third of the Bible is poetry. So you have the Psalms, which are songs. You have Proverbs. You have Ecclesiastes. These are wisdom sayings. And in the challenges, how, mu how many of us honestly read poetry for learning often? Okay, right. Most of us don't. So when we look at the Bible, it should not be weird for us to at first go, I don't get what that's for. That's okay. That's why we're a church. That's why we talk about it. Now, the least um, clear part for some of us is this last percent. 24% is what we call prose discourse. That is a collection of writings that are either laws, Ten Commandments, like sermons. There are people's messages in the Bible. And these letters, like Paul writes these letters to people. So you have all of that is all the Bible. Now, sometimes we don't see the distinction, so I thought this might be helpful. I've got a couple of books that we'll use to illustrate. All in the Bible, you have things like, I, I have my hand, I have the Vitamix, Getting Started Plus, the perfect recipe combination. Uh, it's, a, it's a cookbook. And some of us use, this is very thin, because I don't access it often, but the Vitamix, you can make like you can make hummus and you can make ice cream and you can make soup with the same machine. It's pretty incredible. I highly recommend it. And and so because it's a machine, I don't know what to do with it. It comes with a cookbook. What do you get out of a cookbook? The ability to, to create something. So you have you have pictures. Uh, you have pictures here, and then you have descriptions on what to do and and how to do it in steps. Right. So that's helpful. And there are parts of the Bible that are like a cookbook. Not exactly like it, but the, think of the Ten Commandments. There are things we're called to do and not do. If you do this, this is what you get. If you don't do this, this is what will happen. And there are sermons. There are messages that God gives people to other people that tells them, if you repent, you will experience God's favor. If you don't repent, and then you see what happens afterwards. And so... Cookbooks are helpful because it gives us a clear, but that's not all of life. Some of, some of life is narrative, so 43% of the Bible. I have here, I don't know, if, how many of you ever read, it's been out for a long time now, Undaunted Courage, the story of Meriwether Lewis, Thomas Jefferson, and the Oregon Trail, and it has like the, some of the most detailed of how Oregon came about, and it's fascinating. If one of you want it afterwards, I'll, I'll give it to you. If you Seriously, if you want it, it's a good read. And when you read a biography, though, you learn all sorts of things, but it's different than a cookbook. Like, there's no, like, if married mother Lewis does one, and then two, and then three, and then four. No, it just says their life, but you read their life, and then you begin to see trends. You see mistakes. You see how they overcame. 
And then what we do without thinking about it is when we read biography, when we read narrative, what we can do if we're wise is take what they learned and somehow incorporate that into our world, right? So you have cookbooks, uh, you, have, you have narratives, you have biographies, but then that's not the only way to communicate truth. We have, uh, in my hands, essential X-Men comic books. No joke. And this is like a huge collection of comics. And believe it or not, comics are a great way of, of telling story. It's poetic. It's illustrative. And so in some ways, parts of the Bible work like a cookbook. They're not a cookbook, but they work like it. Some of the Bible is part narrative where you hear story. But part of it is super illustrative. And here, there, there's wild images in here. And if you've ever read comic books, they're actually stories about things that matter. People and lying and cheating and evil and good and wisdom. And there's plot. But what you can do in a comic that you're not going to do in a narrative, if I said Meriwether Lewis had 10 horns and a tiny horn that started talking, you'd say, I am I'm a drug addict and I shouldn't be writing books. But what you can do is you can push the envelope in a comic book. You can push the envelope. You could give all sorts of vivid ways of explaining truth. And so they're helpful. Now, let me, let me be clear. I am not saying that Daniel 7 through 12 is a comic book or that it's some sort of myth or legend. What I am saying is I don't read them the same way. I don't read a comic book the same way I read a cookbook, the same way I read a biography. What the literature is should affect the way I look at it and how I learn from it. And that's a silly illustration, but I hope it helps you as you read the Bible. And what we're going to see is the end of Daniel and all of Revelation is this, what I would call, comic book genre, vivid, wild storytelling that, by the way, Daniel didn't make up. We have writings outside of the Bible at the time of Daniel and at the time of John who writes the Revelation that look just like it. In other words, just like we have lots of storytelling and lots of types of movies and books and writing today, in their day, this was a way of sharing truth. So Daniel doesn't make it up. He's given this vision. As he writes it down, he puts it in a way that the people reading wouldn't have found strange. They just wouldn't read it like a cookbook. They would understand Daniel 7 through 12 in a vivid, illustrative way. Here's the cool part. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's the author of all of the Bible, uses all sorts of people in all sorts of ways to get our attention. Some of you are list people, and you love the lists in the Bible. You love the to-dos. Some of you are driven to narrative, to story, to life, to, to someone's soul, and, and God uses that. And others... Just enjoy vivid, out-of-the-box thinking. And guess what? God's included some stuff for you. For the rest of us, we're just freaked out. But we shouldn't be, because God is actually speaking here. Now, what is Daniel 7 through 12 in all of Revelation? It is a kind of literature called apocalyptic. And so we're going to look at that and, and show how it works. What is apocalyptic? 
It comes from the, the word apocalypsis or apocalypso, and it means revelation. Uh, an apocalypse is a revelation. We today use the word differently. When we think of apocalypse, we think of a nuclear bomb, right? Like the day, an apocalypse. But when it comes to literature, it doesn't work that way. It's simply a vivid revelation. It's a vision. It's a dream. And in the Bible, there are clues to when we are reading an apocalypse or a revelation. And I noted it on the screen because it may help you. In Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Zechariah, and in Matthew, there are these short portions that look like an apocalypse. And so when I read those sections, I should keep that in mind. Daniel 7 through 12 and all of Revelation are the largest. So the two books of the Bible that are really apocalyptic are Daniel in the Old Testament and Revelation in the New Testament, although there are hints other places. Now, how do I know that this is apocalyptic? Now, this may seem boring and irrelevant. Let me tell you, friend, until you know how to read it, unlocking what it means is impossible. So this is going to help. How do I know? A couple of telltale signs. Write them down or take your phone and go click and it's done. Mystery. Apocalyptic literature is strange and mysterious. It's supposed to be that way. It's just like comic is out of the ordinary. And it's usually a hidden secret vision that requires an angel to unlock it because the person who gets it doesn't know what it means. It has symbols and images. So you see in these apocalyptic visions, when you get these huge images, like in Daniel 2, there's the image of the statue, remember? And it had various pieces of it in various metals. Uh, what we just read, there are four beasts that's symbolic. It's imaginative. In Revelation, you have the dragon. You have the beast. And so when you see that, you're probably reading apocalyptic. You also have cryptic numbers. I want you to notice in what we read, that number four kept coming up. That's not accidental. It's how it works. In the Revelation, seven or derivatives of seven keep coming up. Why? It's how it works. And so you have 666, right, in Revelation. You have 144,000, 24 elders. Here we read this morning, 10 horns, 4 beasts. When we see that, we have, to, we have to realize those numbers are cryptic for a reason. Okay? And I'll explain that in a minute. You have angels. One of the surefire ways you know you're reading apocalyptic is when an angel or a messenger is required. How do, we, how do we see this as different from prophecy? In a prophecy, Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, Daniel, through the gift of prophecy, is able to tell Nebuchadnezzar, this is exactly what your dream means. One, two, three, four, done. In apocalyptic, Daniel, who is gifted by God, has no clue. And he needs a messenger to come to give him insight. But even, and catch this, when he gets insight, he still doesn't get it. These visions are so profound, it's beyond him. If you have your Bible, I won't put it on the screen. Verse 15, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit. The visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And I approached one of those standing there. And asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me, this is this, this angel, this messenger. He told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. 
And then he says, the four great beasts are four great kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So when we're reading Daniel, we realize he doesn't get it, but the messenger does. All right, another thing. There's future trouble and salvation. Apocalyptic is all about the future. Prophecy is about the future, but usually explained. So Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to happen, and then it happens. Apocalyptic, though, when you get these visions, is about the far distant future. It's about more than one person. Most prophecy is about Israel or a group or a person. Apocalyptic is about the whole world, the universe. It's huge in scope, and it's painting this forward, 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 forward picture of what God's going to do way out there. Uh, you know you're reading apocalyptic when there's a cosmic conflict. So notice, when you're reading these chapters, it's like a war zone. There's angels, there's demons, there's there's world leaders, there's nations at war, there's the kingdom of God, there's violence. And you need to be careful on how you interpret that because the picture is about a very real conflict that is unseen. And we'll see that in the weeks to come. And then finally, a secret to the apocalyptic, the forward revelation is this person, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is going to come out in Daniel, and then the Son of Man is going to be the center of Revelation. And, and so this mysterious person is the secret to God revealing exactly what his future is going to look like. Okay, All of that is apocalyptic. I know that's a ton, but it's worth thinking about. So just if you scribbled it, whenever you just throw it in your Bible or put it in a note, and when you're reading these parts... Keep those things in mind. Now, how do we read it? This is the real question. Okay, Jose, that's a sign that they're there. What do I do with it? A couple of practical tips. By the way, I don't know any of this off the top of my head. I am not some genius. But I read. And I would encourage you, if you're stumped with the Bible, some of us, we read a Bible, we close it because, like, I don't know what it means. Do you know that there are thousands of resources out there for you? as simple as a study Bible, uh, the ESV study Bible, the NIV study Bible. It has little notes from people who've thought this through, scholars, experts, who are giving you not the Bible. What they write isn't inspired by God, but it's helpful to understand what God wrote. And when it comes to this kind of material, we definitely want to lean in on people who've given this some thought. Because let me tell you, friend, if you just try to guess and make this up, you will come to all sorts of strange conclusions. So lean in on Jesus, people, who actually love you and spend time to write stuff to help you out. When in doubt, read. Now, four things to think about from my reading that will help you. Number one, apocalyptic literature leans heavily on Scripture for symbolism. So when you read Daniel and Revelation, read it with a concordance. A concordance simply has where a word occurs everywhere. They're online for free. You don't even have to buy one. Um, read it with the Bible in mind. These, these visions, these pictures aren't out of left field. Most of them are actually tucked in the Bible. 
So when Daniel gets a vision and God reveals it to him, it's with what God's already said in view. So you got to read this with the whole Bible in mind. Next week, I'm going to bring up the word cloud. And we're going to see how cloud in the Bible works and how it works in Daniel. More on that next week. So you got to read the whole Bible. Second thing, the apocalyptic vision is the medium. It's the tool. It's not the message. Just like I would say the same thing. If I'm reading, honestly, a story in, in and this is fiction, uh, in a comic book, the, the, the visions and the pictures are not the point. They actually just help me know the story. And so in the same way, uh, when we're looking at these visions, the visions aren't the point, and the pictures aren't the point. Um, and, and here's why. I'll, I'll use the example of what we read. There are four kingdoms that are like a beast. What did we learn about these four different creatures? If you looked at it carefully, they're all distorted. So the point isn't, okay, so what is a four-headed leopard look like? That's not the point. The point is they're all mutations. They shouldn't be like that. God created a leopard. God created a bird. God created animals, beautiful. These are jacked up hybrid mistakes. And so the picture is pointing to the message the kingdoms of this earth that are leading right now are messed up. They're not the way God designed. They're thrown off. And guess what? All of them are violent. Did you notice? They're all ferocious. And the kingdoms of this world that are leading are bent on evil and inflicting suffering on the weak. And it sounds like our world today, doesn't it? There are human kingdoms that are not the way God designed. So the point is not to try to visualize the beast, is to say the message is that there are human empires that are against God and they don't look like the beautiful things God created. Because if you look at a leopard, you're in awe. If that leopard has wings, that's a freak show. And so what we see is that what well, God makes is beautiful, but when humans avoid God, they end up with a distorted look. Third thing, every individual doesn't necessarily carry significance. So in other words, the goal is not to interpret every word. Like this word means this, this word means that. When you do that, you're going to go beyond the picture. It would be just like saying instead of the storyline of X-Men or the story of Avengers or the story of whatever, you get caught up in the color of the cape. It's missing the point. Not every word has to have, so we want to be careful about speculation. This means this, that means that. That's not how this kind of literature works. And by the way, I'll remind you again, when Daniel writes this, this is a style of writing that's already seen. He's not making this up. It's God using a regular way of communication and helping us out. Fourth thing, don't read apocalyptic as prophecies about the future and read the news looking for the fulfillment in present-day people, places, and events. Pause. I've already, I, just, I just opened a can of worms like you wouldn't believe. But I want you to hear me. If we read it saying the 
the fulfillment of Daniel is North Korea or Russia, it's a couple of things in play. Throughout church history, this has been done and everyone has been wrong. Every single one. Secondly, it requires that everything have an exact parallel. If you're going to say this is a picture of what's to come, every single iota needs to line up in place. And unfortunately, this way of reading it is a way of reading it. I am not saying it's not read this way. I am suggesting be very careful if you do that because you may read into things in Daniel that God never put there. So, do people read it this way? Yes. It's actually been a wave of a movement in the last 75 years that before the early 1900s wasn't even there. Like ever. But it's a way of reading it. So all I'm going to say is, if that's your understanding of it, totally cool. Consider reading it without that lens. For a, 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 Give it a go without that lens. Just to see the big picture. Now, are there specific things that point towards the future? Absolutely, yes. But what I want to say is be very, very careful about saying exactly this equals that. This little horn with eyes and a mouth that speaks is this person, this country. Just, just if someone says it, just be very careful. They could be wrong. Whew. Okay. Right. All right, okay. Nothing was thrown. I'm very happy. <laughs> well, all those donut holes. I thought one person's going to peg me with a donut hole. All right. So that's, that's, that, that's, our, that's our understanding. That's all background. Now, what's the big picture? Here's the important part. What's the big picture in Daniel 7? What I'm going to do is every time I read these, I'm going to read the whole thing and try to see the big thing. And then it's helpful to look at the small. But i got to start with the big. For this morning, all I want to do is look at the big. Tremper Longman um, the third, as opposed to Tremper Longman the second, is an Old Testament scholar who's absolutely fantastic. And he wrote the NIV application commentary. This is a quote that I think is super helpful. The central message of the chapter, that's chapter 7, is clear. God is in control. And he will defeat the seemingly unconquerable powers that oppress his people. Those are those four beasts. The intended effect of the message is also obvious. Comfort for the faithful. Evil may seem as if it has the upper hand, but that's a temporary deception. Better to stay faithful and suffer than to fall in with evil and experience God's ultimate judgment. So here's what I'm saying. When we looked at the four beasts and then we went in the court scene, it is a picture of what is to come. God, the ancient of days, who does not have gray hair because it says he's white, missing the point. He's not old, missing the point. God, who's the ancient of days, is the authority he will limit the power of human kingdoms, and in the end, those that are evil will be destroyed. He is the Lord of all. If I am Daniel, remember our teaching on Belshazzar? This guy was evil upon evil. This guy was a, he is getting everyone drunk as the enemy is approaching to destroy them. 
He is the worst of all leaders. It's during his reign that God reminds Daniel and the people, these kingdoms that are distorted one day will be defeated by the great king. Don't, Daniel, give in to their power. Don't, Daniel, shrink back when I'm calling you to stand up. Don't, Daniel, be worried about the future. The future is in God's hands, not Belshazzar. God is in control even when the world is out of control. And the people, by the way, reading this after Daniel are going to think the same thing. Like, man, in Daniel's lifetime, the world was out of control, but God is in control. So what's the message for us, I think, to take away? We haven't even gotten into it yet. This is all warm up. In the next few weeks, we're going to get into what these pictures mean, these graphic visions mean. But I want us to hear this again and again and again. Stay faithful. That is the message. It's two words. You can remember it. When you think of Daniel 7, stay faithful. When you think of the beasts and the hellish things going on in the world, stay faithful. When you look at your own life and you realize that evil has seeped into your family, real evil, things have been done to you that should have never happened, stay faithful. You find yourself doing things you never intended to doing, and if you could do it all over again, you wouldn't do it. Guess what? By God's grace, stay faithful. When you see, like, what's going on in our country? What's going on in our world? What's going on in our schools? What's going on in our, our neighborhoods? What's going on? Hey, how come churches aren't growing? How come more people don't care about the Bible? How, how? Hey, calm down. God is in control, and Jesus is the Son of Man. And he's coming with the cloud. Hint, presence of God. And guess what? He's not afraid. He's the king. And his kingdom will never end, a.k.a. the world ain't all that jacked up. God's here. And he's working in you and in me. So what's the call? Stay faithful. And so evil and justice are always going to be there. And that's, that's, that's why Daniel's relevant for today. Evil and, when you see the creatures and the king and the beast, doesn't your mind immediately go to people? Today, there are people today who are living in evil ways, doing evil things. And so as a Christian, what's my response? Like Daniel, stay faithful. By the way, Daniel had influence in Belshazzar's kingdom. Which means, in the middle of this evil world, you have influence. In the middle of this evil world, you can make a difference. In the middle of this evil world, you can speak up for Jesus. In the middle of this world, you can show and tell the goodness of God. In the middle of this evil world, you have a role to play. These visions aren't just about the future when it's going to end. It's about how to stay faithful in the now. Because when, when the end comes, God's just going to do that. So don't miss the emphasis. The emphasis is not on when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? The emphasis is on faithfulness to Jesus until it happens. And I'm not worried. By the way, Jesus said, no one knows the time of the day. Let me underline that. Jesus said, nobody knows the time or day. Nobody. So the moment we start saying, oh my gosh, I think it's going to happen in 14 days. We are calling Jesus a liar because he said nobody knows 
time. But we do want to know the seasons, right? Not, not so we can like, oh good, I can rack up my credit cards because I don't have to pay because I'm going to fly away. I could be lazy. God's going to fix it. No. Oh, we're missing the beauty of the pictures. The pictures point to Daniel living faithful amongst ferocious creatures. What would it look like for you to see you living faithful around ferocious evil and saying, nope, I'm not going to let it lead me. I'm not going to yell at it. The ancient of days is going to care for the evil. I'm going to be faithful to the ancient of days. I think I'm quasi getting excited. I think I'm going to like this. This is good for us. Which means life is a battle. So friend, if you feel like you're in a battle, join the club. If you feel like parenting is a battle, hello, it is. If you feel like being faithful in an in a godless environment at school or at work, join Daniel and the club. If you feel like faithfulness is hard, yep. If you feel like the enemy's winning, well, just read these pictures. These beasts are nasty. But we see the big picture. God's faithful. And where's God? I'm going to mess you up. The cloud isn't about the cloud going up and everybody leaving. The cloud is about the presence of God coming down. God's presence coming down in the middle of evil and God's presence wiping it away. So you, my friend, and I are in a battle where we can be faithful to Jesus. And you know what? I want to be. And I hope you do too. And this is why we need him. It's why we worship, man. It's why we worship. It's why the thousands and ten thousands upon ten thousands are worshiping this son of man. And I encourage you this morning, if you've not yet been baptized, make, make that statement of obedience an act of worship where you say, you know what? Evil is all around, but I've been filled with God. I've chosen to follow Jesus. I'm going in. I'm coming out. It's interesting, it's symbolic, it's a picture, and it's beautiful because I want to go Jesus' way. And if Jesus says, go down and come up, then I'm going to be faithful. It means not choosing your own religion that becomes just a patchwork of what you think is right and true. But you saying that the God who creates is the God who tells me how to live and he tells me how to worship and he has the right to because I belong to him. This morning, follow Jesus. Don't follow your own way. Don't follow some human way. Follow Jesus and God will be with you. All right, stand up to your feet and let's now turn from hearing about visions to envisioning ourselves worshiping this king. I want you, this is, a, this is weird, it's goofy, I'll confess. But I want you to visualize that this is, this is not a stage, although it is, okay? And this is not an event center, although it very much is. But I want you to see yourself, if you can, if you can use your imagination, if you can't, no, no worries. There are lists in the Bible for you. Use your imagination and just say, we are worshiping with the angels, 
with those who've died before us and we're worshiping Jesus because there's no one else worthy of our praise. And I want you to act as if these next songs are like you and millions of people throughout time who are now seeing Jesus for who he fully is and we're just so blown away by the beauty of God that we can't help but worship. Please, let's, let's live into this and let's worship like this is real. And with that, Jesus, we want to be caught up in your presence and we wanna live with you and we wanna worship you. There's no one like you, Jesus. And so we wanna give you everything. We wanna hold on to you. We need you, Lord. We wanna be tied to you. Help us, Holy Spirit, as we worship to enjoy the presence of Jesus.